just beautiful. I mean, if we can keep that in our heads, we might as well go home right now. Because that is, that is such a wonderful truth. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are our God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. That you have done so much that you have rescued us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with us. That you show us and experience within us what it means to be children of God. And Father, as we look at at your word here and we we see how you have moved through the Apostle Paul and and through Aquila and Priscilla and and Apollos and and the other Christians in, in Corinth and Ephesus, Lord, may you speak to us today too. Lord, may we grasp something deeper and, and, and more adequate of who you are for us and what it means to be your children. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me today too. Amen. Last week we, uh, we left poor old Paul, well, not poor old Paul, good old Paul. We left him in Corinth. Now, if you remember, Paul had gone into Corinth a little bit depressed. He he was feeling a bit down, felt like the work. God said to him, right, you're going to Macedonia. He'd gone, and until he got to Corinth, it seemed like, like he'd just faced hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And we saw last week how, how Aquila and Priscilla took him under their wings and, and gave him a job and gave him encouragement. And, and we finished with God promising Paul, Paul, you're not going to worry about anything because... You are in Corinth, and I have many people in Corinth, and you are going to be safe. And Paul actually stayed there in Corinth for for something like 18 months, maybe a little bit more than 18 months, which is a huge thing. Up until then, Paul had spent maybe a month or two. He was very itinerant. He moved around, but, but here he stayed in Corinth, and he did some amazing work, and the church grew and became, a, well, let's say, a force to be reckoned with in Corinth. And here we come in verse 18 of chapter 18, and and Paul decides that now is the right time to leave Corinth. The church is is well enough established. There are some some good Christian leaders there. I'm sure Paul says, right, I can go, and I can go back to Jerusalem, and I can go back home to, to Antioch. Remember, way back, Antioch had actually sent him out on this missionary journey. So Paul goes, um, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He, he leaves Corinth. He gets to the seaport of Caesarea, or however you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, let's have a look here. Centria. Centria. Gets there, and he cuts off all of his hair. Uh, most likely this is Paul taking a, a, a Nazarite vow, a, a vow to thank God for, for his protection in Corinth. And part of that is that when you cut off all your hair, you have to take it to Jerusalem and offer some sacrifices of thanksgiving to God there. So that's what Paul is doing. He's, he's heading back home. But the first thing he does is he jumps in the boat at uh, Centria uh, and he travels across, across the pond to Ephesus. Now for Paul, this is a big deal because Ephesus is in Asia. And if you remember back to, to Acts chapter 16, which we looked at last year, 
um, Acts chapter 16, Paul really wanted to go to Asia. And it was only because God sent him a message saying, uh, a Macedonian man saying, we need you in Macedonia, that, that Paul hadn't gone to Asia. And, and now as he's on his way back to Jerusalem, he's on his way back home, he manages to stop at Ephesus. It's an interesting uh, place, old Ephesus. Um, historically, it's, it's, it's on a river there. Uh, let me see if I can remember what the river's name is. The K-Star River. Um, and it was actually quite a big port city. But by the time Paul comes on the scene, the port industry is sort of, it's failed. Um, their agriculture was pathetic up in, in the Asian highlands and and there was just so much silt that washed down the river that they had to constantly dredge the harbor at Ephesus, and, and eventually it became too much. Uh, if you go there now, uh, the ruins of Ephesus are actually about 12 kilometers inland from the sea, where it used to be a, a port city. There's just so much silt washed in there. So that, that was one of the big draw cards for Ephesus, was the port being there and all the business. And as I say, that had kind of dried up by the time Paul arrived, and and the other big moneymaker, really the only big industry left in Ephesus by the time we get there in verse 18, is the temple of Artemis. Artemis is, is the Greek goddess, the fertility goddess. Her, her temple was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge on top of a hill looking down on Ephesus. It was a big religious place. Ephesus. And it was, a, it was a great place to take the gospel. The capital of, of the Roman province of Asia. The, the entryway into that part of the world. If you remember Corinth last year, maybe 200,000 people. Ephesus at this stage in history, 250,000 people. Big city. And Paul, for the first time, he hops off the boat and he's, he's going to He's going to go and take the word to Ephesus. But there's a problem, of course. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's got to take this hair that he's shaved off. He's got to make his sacrifices of thanksgiving. He's going to go home to Antioch. He's, he's on a journey. He can't stop. But, but he's so close. I mean, can you imagine Paul? He's, he's wanted to be in Asia for so long, and he's on the boat at the harbor, and, and he jumps off. He, he leaves Aquila and Priscilla, who've gone along with him. He just leaves them there, and he rushes off to the synagogue. And he just quickly, he starts reasoning with the Jews. He starts his old story again of, let me tell you about the, the fulfillment of all the prophets and, and everything that God has done. And, and you can just see Paul, is, he's, he's grasping that opportunity that God has laid in his, in his hands to, to at last speak to the Asians in Ephesus. And it's a wonderful reception. Maybe the Jews liked him because he'd taken a vow and cut off all his hair, I don't know. But, but whatever it was, there was such a positive reception to the gospel message. And they said to Paul, Paul, we, we really want to hear more of you. Can, can you hang around? Can you put yourself in Paul's shoes? Here is the place where you have been dreaming to go, the, the place that you have been longing to go. You've got a, a burden on your heart to go to Asia you get there for a flying visit and the people say, can you stay? Oh, it'd be so tempting, wouldn't it? But Paul's learned his lesson. He, 
he's learned that, that God is the one who is in charge. And, and if God wants him to come back, then, then God's going to let him come back. And he says, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I'm, I'm on this journey. But I want to come back. And if God lets me, I will. And he disappears. And he goes home. He arrives at uh, Caesarea. He goes up to the church. Uh, basically, that means he goes up to Jerusalem. Caesarea is Jerusalem's port. Goes up to Jerusalem, meets with the church, and goes back down to his home church in Antioch. And I want to just leave Paul for a moment and, and think about Aquila and Priscilla. Remember these wonderful people, such a great example to us, who had so taken care of Paul when he arrived in Corinth. And, and so much, I, I think, their friendship with him and, and their passion for for taking the good news into the rest of the world has grown over the, the time they've spent with him that, that they jump on the boat with him and arrive in Ephesus. And it seems to me that they set up shop there. They, they set up residence there. They, they're there as, as Christians in residence. People who are attending, we see in verse 27 that, that they're attending the local synagogues. They're mingling with their fellow Jews, but, but, but they are Christians there. And you know, it's interesting to me that, that with Aquila and Priscilla, we don't hear very much about how they preach the word and, and slay demons and, and well, not slay demons, cast out demons and, and do miracles. We don't, we don't hear of any major big breakthrough that, that Aquila and Priscilla do or in Corinth or in Ephesus. They certainly don't seem to have the gift of, uh, of being evangelists. But they have, well, they're just ordinary, if I may call them ordinary Christians. They are just everyday Christians living in their society, being an example to the world around them. Their gifting, we saw last week, is the gift of encouragement. And just in the way that they lived their lives, I mean, what did Jesus say? Uh, by this will you, all men know that you are my disciples. Try again. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I am certain, 100% certain, that, that the people of Ephesus could look at Aquila and Priscilla and just see their lifestyle and say, Wow, what is it about you guys? They don't change the world themselves in a radical way. They are just there. And the more I think about it, the, the, what a great inspiration for us. I mean, so often we think that, that if we are going to change the world, if we are going to make a difference as Christians, we have to be Billy Graham, Mark 2, 3, 4, and 5. And that's just not so. Some people are called to be the Billy Grahams of the world. Others of us are just called to be Christ in our community, to be the light of the world wherever we find ourselves. And maybe that involves moving home and, and setting ourselves up in a place where there are no Christians. I think your, um, your sister and brother-in-law in Bulgaria, the Pattersons, are doing something like that. Lucy in China is doing something like that. She is just being a Christian 
in that place. And what a great witness that is. That's the first scene that we've got here of Ephesus. And Paul's chuffed off and he's back in Jerusalem, he's back in Antioch. And we see here in, where is it, about, about verse um, 24, we have Apollos arriving in Ephesus. Apollos, a, a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria, uh, if you remember, is the place that had the brilliant library at this stage. Alexandria is, is one of the big centers of learning of the world at that time. They, they had uh, uh, Greek philosophy and, and Hebrew philosophy and, and um, well, just Roman philosophy. Everything that you wanted to know was there from geography to religion to, I don't know, whatever other subjects we've got these days. History is there. It's actually Alexandria is the place where, where the Jews in, I think, 200 B.C. had, had translated the Old Testament into Greek so that the, the Greek-speaking Jews could read God's Word for themselves. That, that's the same Greek, New Te- Greek Old Testament that Paul uses and quotes throughout his letters. Uh, Alexandria is the place at about this time where we've got people like Philo who are speaking about philosophy and, and, and how that relates to, to the God of the Bible. A fascinating place, a place where you could go and you could learn all about God and the world that He has made. And we've got Apollos here, who is this, this highly intelligent, highly learned man who has, who has spent time in Alexandria. He's, we're not told, but, but I can only assume he's spent some time studying, maybe at the university there. He's been taught in Alexandria about the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And something about that had just caught his imagination. I mean, here is this man, he he hears the word that, that the Messiah is coming. He hears the teaching of John that the kingdom of God is near. He hears the teaching of John that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He, he hears maybe even that, that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, he, he knows what it means to, to ask God for repentance and forgiveness. Uh, and he's so captivated by this, this brilliant teaching that, 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 that he actually leaves his home in Alexandria. We, we don't think about this really, but, but here is a missionary Apollos from Alexandria, the center of learning, this, this news that he's got in his head is so big and so valuable, he just has to go and he has to share it with people. And, and Luke tells us here in, in chapter 18 that, that, that Apollos is, is full of knowledge about the Scriptures. He's, he's a man who, who preaches with just such fervor and, and zeal and excitement. And in fact, the Greek word that's used there has got the image of him bubbling like a cauldron or or, or fi- like fiery, he's on fire when he preaches to the people. And, and what he says is accurate as, as far as it goes. And, and he arrives in Ephesus and he goes to the local Jewish synagogue and, and he just starts preaching the word at them, the good news. He's excited. I mean, the people there are, I'm sure they are amazed at what he has to say. He's, he's speaking boldly. He, he won't be silenced. 
just as an aside, there's, there's three great signs of, of a good preacher or a good teacher. Someone who knows God's Word. Someone who is excited about God's Word. And someone who actually says the truth about God's Word. And here we've got Apollos, and he's got those three, three things down. And he teaches and Aquila and Priscilla, remember, they're living in Ephesus now. They are joining in with the local Jews at the synagogue, just sort of a, a fifth column of Christians in the city. And they hear Apollos preaching. And they like what they hear. This is good stuff, they say. He's accurate. He's, he's on the ball. But he's also missing a little bit of information. Maybe a bit more than information. He's, he's missing the depth. They are such great people, Aquila and Priscilla, because they listen to him and then they take him home, they take him aside and they have a conversation with him. Can you imagine? I, I can just as a preacher imagine poor old Apollos and he's you preach this humdinger of a sermon and everyone's going, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Aquila and Priscilla come and say, Paulos, want to come have uh, tea with us this week? We're Christians too. Come and, come and have a meal with us. And he goes and, and they say, great message, Apollos. Really good stuff, but can we share with you what comes next? Can we share with you what, what happens next? Can we give you chapter two in the story? And Apollos says, Luke, just soaks it in. It's interesting, Apollos. Some people wonder, before he meets with the, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, was Apollos a Christian? Because Luke tells us here that, that he only knew about the baptism of John. He knew about repentance, but did he know about grace? He knew about religion. He, he knew that this news was wonderful and had to be spread and, and, and had to be shared. But, but was it something that soaked into his soul and into his life and into his being? Personally, I, I think he was a Christian at this stage. But I do think he was a, a, a Christian who had a serious case of malnutrition. I mean, the fact that he was preaching the word accurately and with fervor, um, actually it says there with, with spiritual fervor, uh, I think this is a sign of the Spirit working through him. Because we're not told that he gets baptized again when he hears from Aquila and Priscilla. We're just told that he... He keeps on ministering, but, but with the full and accurate message. But after that meeting with Aquila and Priscilla, I think he went from having a head knowledge of this is what God is going to do. I think he went from having a, a head knowledge of 
this is what it means to be a Christian. We do this and this and this. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. I think you went from that religious mindset to a, to a heart of grace. I think, I think you went into that home expecting to have a nice meal and came out just a changed man with this deeper appreciation of who Jesus is and, and what Jesus has done for us. And, 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 and I, I just, it's amazing. What happens next? Because with this heart of grace and this understanding of Jesus for him, and perhaps even after meeting with Aquila and Priscilla, this, this experience of Christ in him, this knowledge that the Holy Spirit is with him, with that in him now, Apollo says, look guys, I want to go further. I want to share the news. I want to I help the people in Corinth. I want to speak to the Jews about Jesus. I want to tell others about this great news. I, I thought I knew it all, but now I know so much more, and I was excited then, but wow! Try and stop me now. This is going to be good. And Aquila and Priscilla, obviously, are, they're keen for him to go. They write, right, they're not keen for him to go. They're keen for him to, to, to follow that, that God-given passion. And they write him a letter to Corinth where they'd spent time with Paul. And, and off he goes. And, and we read in 1 Corinthians how, how so beloved was Apollos in, in Corinth that, that actually some people were saying, I follow Apollos. You know, we said just now that Aquila and Priscilla didn't change the world in any meaningful way, but they had a conversation with Apollos. And because of that conversation, because of just being Christians, because of that keenness to share more of the knowledge of the mystery of God with Apollos, because of that, the church in Corinth, the church in Greece, uh, Achaia, if we want the old name, just flourished and expanded and grew. And I think we need to challenge ourselves today. Can we be like Aquila and Priscilla to one another? Do we have perhaps the gift of discernment that we can see where there is something lacking in someone's knowledge or, or perhaps even someone's walk with Christ, maybe even their faith? Do we have the, the wherewithal to go to them and say, you are so close to the kingdom of God? Or say to them, that is brilliant, let me tell you more. You know, a word spoken in season. Just a small word spoken in season can change the world. Maybe you will speak to the next Billy Graham. I don't know. So there we have Ephesus. And Apollo is chuffed off to, to Corinth, doing good work over there. And as he's gone, Paul arrives back again. This Paul, as you said, he makes a, a roundabout journey. Instead of coming up along the coast, he goes all through the inland places, stopping off and, and saying good day to all the churches that he'd established and, and helping the disciples and, and teaching them more about, about Jesus and growing them in their faith and being Aquila and Priscilla to the churches. 
and he arrives in Ephesus. And the first thing he encounters is, is 12 people who put their hands up and say, yep, we are disciples. I'm going to call them the Ephesian 12. And Paul makes a couple of assumptions about these, these blokes. He says, right, you, you say you are disciples. Good. Um, you say you believe. Wonderful. Now, let me just ask you a question. Can you please tell me, get it exactly right. Can you please tell me, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's an interesting question to ask somebody first time you meet them. Hi, my name is Joe Bloggs. I'm a Christian. That's interesting. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's actually not a bad opening question. You see, I, I have this feeling that, that Paul discerned there was something amiss with these 12 blokes. Because they put up their hands and they said, we are believers, and they put up their hands and they said, we are disciples. But, but Paul sort of, I don't know what it was that, that tipped him off, whether he saw something, whether the Spirit prompted him, but, but he knew that there was something not right here. And, and his two assumptions that, that really, what are they there? The two assumptions that Paul makes is that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. In other words, to be a believer is to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit. And the other assumption is that these guys were believers and, and if they've never heard of the Holy Spirit, one of those things must be wrong. Now, we're not told, but I suspect that these 12 were probably fringe dwellers of the church. Certainly as, as uh, followers of John, as disciples of John, probably Jews, they would have been part of the synagogue, the same synagogue that Apollos had been preaching at, the same synagogue that Aquila and Priscilla would have been part of, big synagogue in Ephesus. And yet somehow, until Paul rocks up on the scene, nobody has picked up on the fact that these guys don't actually know the truth about Jesus. In fact, these guys don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. It kind of does make me wonder why Apollos hadn't spoken to them. I mean, if anyone was the hero of these guys preaching John's baptism, it would have been Apollos. Why didn't he go to them after he'd learned from Aquila and Priscilla and said, guys, 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 I want to tell you the next story. I don't know, but whatever it is, somehow, somewhere these guys had got half a gospel. They'd heard about repentance, but they had no clue that they could actually be forgiven. They were followers of John the Baptist in a way and not followers of Jesus. And they weren't even really probably that keen a follower of John the Baptist because John the Baptist had said time and again, I am not the one who is the Savior, but He is, Jesus Christ is. 
But let me back off a bit. I, I think these 12 so-called disciples in Acts chapter 19, I'd call them people who are searching for God. I mean, these are people who are serious about the kingdom of God. They, they, they've, they've gone through the whole we'll be baptized for repentance thing. They actually put their hands up and say, we are disciples of John, which means we are waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Remember, John came saying the kingdom of God is near, and they're saying the kingdom of God is near, and we're waiting for it. But they hadn't encountered Jesus and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Two things are really synonymous. And it makes me wonder if there was this powerful preaching like preacher like Apollos in Ephesus for at least a little while. And there were great encouragers like Aquila and Priscilla who could teach disciples of John the way of Jesus. And yet these twelve slipped through the gaps. I wonder if there can't be people today who are slipping through the gaps. People who who are so keen for the kingdom of God, who, who, who really, they've, they've put up their hands and say, I want to know God more. But they just don't know the truth that Jesus has come and, and brought life and forgiveness. They, they haven't experienced that for themselves as, as God enters into their lives. They haven't been reborn, but, but they are searching and they are searching for that. Maybe even people in the church. Maybe people outside the church. I think of a lot of JWs, a lot of Mormons, uh, you know, that sort of sect who, who are so serious about searching for God, but, but they don't know the truth. And what they need is somebody to come to them and say, have you personally experienced God in your life? Have you encountered the risen Jesus in His Spirit? And I think we need to all pray for discernment that we might, we might be able to see people like that in our spheres of influence. Because if these twelve could hang around the same synagogue as Apollos and, and, and Aquila and Priscilla and I'm sure the other Christians and slip through the gap, people can do the same today unless we are looking and asking God to show us how we can be encouragers to them in the faith. Because you know these guys, when Paul said to them, let me tell you the truth, brothers. John was great. He was talking about repentance. But, but let me tell you now, something so much greater has happened. He said there, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told us to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus Christ. And Luke doesn't say, and then they sat for 
for another four hours discussing this and wondering what the right course of action was. Luke says, Paul says to these guys, Jesus is the one you have been looking for, you've been searching for, and right away these guys say, wow, we have been waiting for this. Come on, give it to us. Let's get baptized right now. They are so keen to find Jesus that all it takes is somebody to say, hey, the stuff you've been looking for is right here. Let me give it to you, and they grasp it. And there will be people today who are so just just waiting to be told what they are looking for, what they are desperate for. And the jewel box on that day got another 12 jewels in it. And there's still plenty of room in that jewel box. And we've got this thing here where they get baptized and Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes on them and they, and they prophesy and they speak in tongues. And it doesn't always happen like that. This is one of those big, big moments in the book of Acts. Sort of signposts of the kingdom expanding and growing and, 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 and developing faith as God works. Let me finish here. Just, just four points I want to make that we've looked at this morning. When Paul got to Ephesus, he grabbed the opportunity to share the gospel, which he'd been longing to do for so, such a long time. Do we grab the opportunities to follow the dream that God has planted in our hearts to tell others about him. Apollos from Alexandria, even though he got three quarters, half of the story, he, he was so grabbed by that story that, that he was driven to share the good news. Oh, I pray that we are grabbed by the gospel so much that, that we just go out with, 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 with a head knowledge and a heart knowledge and a fervor and a passion and we just want to tell others. Really, just by the way, I think my prayer for our church for this year is that we grow fat on knowledge of God. We see in Aquila and Priscilla just how vital it is for us to disciple one another and grow each other up in the knowledge and in the faith and to see where, where another is lacking and to build them up and to allow ourselves to be built up. And we see right at the end there with the Ephesians 12. It's no fun being a Christian in waiting when you can be a Christian in practice. Let me challenge you with those things. Let me encourage you with those things. May they work and be seen in practice in your life. Because God is going to do wonderful things through you. Amen.